contributing culturally to a business. So having humility, willing to, to get your hands dirty, being really transparent, have an inclusive communication style. You know, hey, we talked about this as a leadership team. Here's what it means to finance, accounting, billing, and just try to be someone that people want to work with. What makes a good CFO great? What defines the modern CFO? If anyone were to answer this question, it's Steve Isom, Bloomerang's own CFO. In our final episode with Steve, he outlines the five pillars of the CFO's role, advice he'd pass on to fellow finance leaders, and last but not least, his favorite SaaS tools right now. What's one piece of advice you wish you knew going into your current role? And then just general advice around being a finance leader that you have in your back pocket. I think the biggest, the biggest thing, and this is something that I've kind of come to the realization over time is, is the ability of the finance function to impact and influence broader portions of the business than you might inherently think. So when I think about what makes a great finance leader, there's kind of five pillars. And I think that most people probably don't think of the five pillars. So, and I'll try to run through what I think they are quickly here. So one is, I'll, I'll just say like the technical or the table stakes. Like what are the table stakes? It's like you get the close, monthly close done, you do the audit, you've got accounting systems up and running, technology, enabling growth, or setting up new entities right? Order to cash, making sure you're getting paid, right? That is table stakes. And I think some people think that that's like the only role of finance. That's it, right? Like, 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 and those are probably the people who opt to wait to hire, right? It's like, I don't know, do I really need that? Like I've got a bookkeeper, right? And, And customers are paying us. The other number two pillar, which I think is probably more intuitive as well, especially for people who come from an FP&A background is more like the strategic pillar, right? Bringing the business model to life, defining and refining what the KPIs are for the business, articulating value and how the business is creating shareholder value and understanding over time as the business becomes more complex, how to fold those complexities into a forecast or long-term projections for the business. So you kind of got it strategic and you've got the table stakes or technical acumen. And then you have to realize that the finance leader, just because it's finance, like I think oftentimes people will talk about like, oh, you're, you're easy to work with for a finance person or like, and they'll caveat it, right? And I think either people have in their head this idea of what finance is, or they've had bad experiences. And I, and I challenge people to prove people wrong, um, stop being graded on a curve and stop, start being graded against all your peers, really have that executive presence, push the team, push your peers, have a team captain uh, mentality, and then also just make sure that you're trustworthy and reliable. Under promise, over deliver, do what you say, say what you do. And just be really rock steady. Like I want every single person I work with to know that they can come to me at any time, 24-7, with any type of issue. I've always prided myself on my former CEO called it my SLA around like response to Slack messages. If you send me a Slack message at 11 p.m., I'm going to respond right away because I don't want to be a blocker. I don't want to be a holdup. And then 
The last two pillars, one is being a business partner. This is probably something that I didn't understand early in my career as I went in-house. Like you have to be cross-functional and you have to work with the other leaders. You can't be siloed and thinking like, oh, well, finance understands this, right? Completely. You have to have the context. And it really in a way is selfish because oftentimes you may be in a board meeting or you may have been having discussions with the CEO and and you're going to get asked the question that maybe if you didn't have you know regular one-on-ones with the other department leaders, you wouldn't have context on or you would just have to make something up or say you don't know. And I think, it, I think it's empowering to have that pulse on the business, right? And understanding cross-functionally and start to bring these things together, right? Hey, I met with the CMO. I met with the head CRO. I met with the head, of, the head of professional services all this week. And here are some overlapping themes I brought together. CEOs have a lot of things on their plate and you should be the partner to that, to that CEO and, and help them, you know, get some leverage out, um, out of, out of the executive suite. And then the last thing, and this is one I'm really passionate about, and maybe it's me overcompensating, but contributing culturally to a business. So having humility, willing to, willing to get your hands dirty, do whatever it takes. Like I've always said, I'll never ask anyone on my team to do something that I wouldn't do myself. Um, you know, the being really transparent, have an inclusive communication style, you know, Hey, we talked about this as a leadership team, you know, here's what it means to finance accounting, billing, and, and just, you know, try to be someone that people want to work with. Right. I just, I think that, you know, your reputation or reputational capital within a business is really important. And, you know, these micro in encounters or experiences you have with people snowball over time. And, you know, you want to be in a point where you just get the benefit of the doubt. And the way that I've approached it is, hey, I'm not going to be the guy who just says no all the time, no matter what, or I'm not going to be the, you know, the, the pain and the ass to deal with. But having that disposition kind of allows yourself so that when there is something you need to push back on, or there is something bad that happened, you are, you have this baked in credibility because it's like, Hey, we know Steve is like pretty level-headed guy. Like he's usually like fun to talk to. And like, we talk about the business and he seems, you know, upset or frustrated by this. And you kind of get that instant credibility as opposed to, Oh, that's just the CFO. He always says no, or he's always in a bad mood. Like, don't, don't listen <laughs> to him. Right. And so kind of compensating, compensating for that goes, goes, goes a long way. Like you want, people to want to work with you so that when you have some painful thing to deal with, right? Like, or, you know, Hey, we need to roll out sales tax, right? (laughs) It's like, no one wants to roll out sales tax, including the CFO. But if, if you're at least a pleasant person to work with, hopefully you can get marketing and sales and support all on board to, you know, do it in the smoothest way possible. Um, and, you know, so the lot, you know, super long way of saying, like, don't, don't be a jerk. <laughs> it's like company politics, but like genuinely. Right. right. And I love that you mentioned SLA for communication style. Like that doesn't just apply to sales, following up with leads. Like there is setting that 
expectation ahead of time for everyone, especially if people are across different time zones. Yeah, I think that's huge. We have no problem asking specific areas of the business to be held accountable to response times, turnaround times, and other departments kind of get a pass, right? And I think the idea of kind of having a, a... uh, someone wants to make a snapback culture, right? Like you want to be, hey, I'm going to respond right away. Even if it's just like, hey, I, I need to look into this. Um, mm-hmm. I think the the idea of like someone sending an email or a Slack message and it just sits there. And then on the other end, someone's like either, and I do this too, so I'm guilty of it. If someone doesn't respond to me, I assume negative intent, like, oh, they yeah. read it. And they had a negative reaction to it and they're just sitting on it, right? Whereas they might have just been busy and they're like, you know, need to look at it later. So I'm always going to be quick to either say an answer right away or I need time to look into this. I'll get back to you by X. So people aren't, you know, sitting around guessing on what I'm what I'm thinking. Last but not least, what is your favorite up and coming SaaS tool right now? Yeah. So like I mentioned, we're definitely in build mode right now. So we're evaluating a whole bunch of tools. So obviously we're a customer vendor. We're super happy with that. No brainer there. Um, we, as a business, we were, you know, we were, we were definitely pretty immature from a tool stack. So like we implemented Salesforce and Marketo this year, which have been a big lift. We are at the final stages, knock on wood, and I feel like this may really jinx it. We're going live on a new billing system, which is a tool called Ordway. We did a thorough evaluation of what's in the market. and We're really excited about, about that tool and have really high expectations for it. And then the, the two other areas is we're rolling out a commission automation tool. So we're rolling out Captivate IQ, um, a tool really excited to kind of go live with at the beginning of the year. And then the last area that I think I'm most excited about, and we haven't actually made a purchase here yet, but I think we've down-selected the vendor, is I won't just say financial planning, right? There's a lot of tools in the market, you know, Adaptive Insights kind of owns that market, but wanting to get something that's lighter weight in real time creates really nice visualizations without having a full BI department, right? Uh, which are great things to have at scale. We had a phenomenal business intelligence leader at WP Engine, post supply acquisition, and I got spoiled. And then it's like I came to, I came to Bloomring. It's like, oh, wait, I don't have a BI team anymore. So we're likely going to roll out a tool called Mosaic, which has been really impressive, really impressive thus far, and, and hopefully get to the point where we can automate a little bit more. You know, I'm in board meeting prep right now, taking a break to have this conversation. And you know, doing the same thing I've done always, creating a whole bunch of PowerPoint presentations and I'm copying and pasting from Excel. And, you know, I think Mosaic has the promise of eliminating a lot of that and, you know, check in with me in six months to see if we're successful in rolling it out. If you had other things you want to be quoted for, like any other (laughs) topics or whatever. This is kind of like your soapbox right now in the most positive way possible. So I think the one thing, the one thing I'll say is that my last boss, like would very jokingly and cheesy call finance finance, right? And people would kind of groan and make, make fun of them. But I do think that 
to be a really great finance leader, you have to really show people that you're having fun and what, what you're doing. And I certainly have fun doing my job and interacting with people. And I always want to make sure that people feel that when they're working with me. And, you know, it's a little bit of like, you know, rebranding finance, you know, make finance great. Um, and, and I really think that, that you can do it. I think the problem is, is that finance professionals, and I suffer from this too, are doers. And we oftentimes are called on to just put our head down and get the work done, right? Whether it's budgeting, board deck prep, right? You're, you start out and you want to be super collaborative and you're going to have all these conversations. But inevitably what happens at every year, it's going to be 11 o'clock at night and you're like, I just need to get this done and I'm going to work on it solo, right? And you have to be cognizant of when you go into those rabbit holes and you're like, hey, I, I did this, I got it done, um, but it's probably not in the best interest of the business. So, you know, being mindful of that, getting out of the mindset of the work just gets done and making sure it gets done right with the right buy-in, I think is going to pay off in the long run. And I personally have struggled with this, right? I'm a control freak. Like I want to own the master slides and I want to fix all the formatting. And, and if someone doesn't get me their slides, like I'll create them, right? <laughs> um, but I think really trying to fight those those urges to do that and be more collaborative, I think will go, go a long way and have fun when you're doing it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Buy Side, hosted by Vendor, a SaaS buying platform for ever-changing B2B SaaS sales. Curious how we can help your company save on SaaS? Get a free savings analysis today by visiting us at vendr.com slash save. See you next time.